Hello and welcome to the Swim Brief. I am Chris DeSantis and I am joined by Joel Rawlings. And Joel, today we're going to talk about potential. And I think we should start with the potential that we're both not having a good day, but we have the potential to have a good day. Right, Joel? That's right. This, right now, this is the moment where we get it turned around. Okay. Having this, one, this conversation. Yeah. This is one of those things where like, I remember when, like, you know, my twenties when I go out too often and, and like wake up in the morning and some days feel like, you know what, this is it. This is the high point. It's just going to be downhill from here. And I always feel crap. Yeah. So, yeah. So this is one of those days, but we're going to fight through it. Let's go. Let's hear right. it. Potential. So we're, we're building off the conversation we were having about recruiting last week. And this week, what I wanted to focus on was what are some of the ways we evaluate potential, right? Because when you're thinking about adding somebody to your team, um, you know, I think there's an opportunity if you're good at evaluating their potential. And I think that's actually specific to your team. It's not like people just have a potential figure. It's really about the context that you're adding them to. Then that's something that can give you a competitive advantage. So, um, and I think that criteria is going to be a little bit different for everybody, but I thought we'd give a couple examples, at least each of us. Um, and I'm going to let you go first so yeah. that uh, we can talk about some of the ways we do this. Yeah, I was thinking um, a, l- a little bit about this because obviously everyone has a different um you know, different set going in. Like a Division One team has a lot different than a Division like l- low end Division One team. It has different than Division Three team or Division Two team as far as what you're looking for and what you're trying to accomplish. I remember like years back with the the Fab Five. You know, with the the, the group from Michigan, Jalen Rose and uh, you know Juwan Howard and all that. And they're like Chris Weber. Yeah, and and they like you know got within you know a, a timeout of winning a national championship basically. And um, everyone's like, well, if they would have played for Bobby Knight, you know, that would never have happened. And Jalen Rose, I remember years back, like, we wouldn't have played for Bobby Knight. You know, that, that was just that simple. It's like that, that group wouldn't have thrived under Bobby Knight. That, that wasn't the, the, their mindset. That wasn't what they would have um, felt comfortable playing in. And I think too many times coaches are like, almost take like fantasy football or analytics to where you take the individual out of the sport so much where you're like, you just plug, plug and play. Oh, this person fit in great. Boy, if they just had more yardage, more sprint, more this, more that, we would have been great with this, this, this. And the personality of it is, is such a huge component because it's so many days, so many hours, so many bus rides, so many, you know, th- things were like, you know, it's it's December 18th or something like that. And it's like, it's dark, it's dreary out. And you want them to go to one more practice, even though it's exam week or something. And um, it's one of those things where those the, the personalities that you mesh with make your job a lot easier and you have to look at the, the team versus we always think about the individual like how you get along with that one person but that one person how your dynamic is with them is going to affect everyone else so like if if you're having a struggle you know getting through to an athlete about why they need to do x y or z all of a sudden like you're just a little less energy for everybody else or you're a little more agitated going in for everyone else kind of like we were talking about earlier or there's just all this other stuff that you went into above and beyond already and most of us are kind of hitting that threshold at that point in time 
or like, I, I don't know what else I can do, you know, and then you're going to snap at the wrong place at the wrong moment. And now you've got all these other things you've got to worry about. And on the other hand, it's, it's not fair to a kid, you know, if all of a sudden, you know, you're like, you know, all sunshine and roses on the recruiting trip. And then he gets down to like, this is what we really do here at the practice. You know, we always heard about some division one teams like that, where they had the coach who was like a recruiter and then the head right. coach. And it wasn't always a mesh, you know, it wasn't always like, they were on the same philosophical page, but it sounded like it at the time, but then in practice it isn't. And it's not fair to the kid all of a sudden to do that to them either. And it's a lot of energy and stress out of them on top of their, their physical stress. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, I'm just, since you mentioned Bobby Knight, Bobby Knight passed away yesterday. Um, I am going to swerve out of the lane of potential just to talk about Bobby Knight for a second, because Anytime somebody passes away, I do think that there is a pressure to, you know, say something nice. And I just want to say, Bobby Knight was an ass. <laughs> and uh, I, 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 if you really liked him, you're entitled to like him. I didn't. I didn't care for him. I think he's an example of so many things that I find wrong in coaching, especially the part where people say, well, because you win a lot, whatever behavior you engage in is fine. There's a guy who strangled one of his own players, throwing chairs, assaulting a student on campus. Like, what an ass. Okay? I have no piece of me that goes uh, and admires Bobby Knight. Square, square none. I bar none. I don't know what the heck I'm supposed to say. I'm mad. So, <laughs> um, I'm not down for any Bobby Knight <laughs> worship. And I guess Jalen Rose wasn't either because he was like, yeah, we wouldn't have played for that guy. Um, and, uh, that tells you something in that situation. So I guess I had a couple of, of criteria. I'm going to share one of my criteria with you. And then I'm going to let you uh, get a chance to respond to it. And I actually think we'll have like a 10 minute conversation about this. When I started to think about this, I think I'm going to explore this even further and maybe build it out into its own podcast. One that I record on my own, just so I can get all my thoughts down about it. But I think for me, one of the most underrated ways for evaluating potential in recruiting is to speak to the person that is coaching that athlete currently. And um, when I was a college swim coach, I can't say that I was perfect in terms of talking to the coaches uh, of kids that I was trying to recruit. But I built a lot of relationships with a lot of coaches. Um, and it was extremely helpful to me in terms of evaluating potential. You have people that have information. Now, I already hear the objection coming up from a lot of college swim coaches. You can't trust what these club coaches are going to tell you. They're going to sell you a bill of goods. Okay, well, listen. <laughs> Do the work. Build your own relationships with these people so that the only com so it's not the only conversation you're having with them is right in that moment. Hey, let's talk about whether this kid is good or not. Figure out who you can trust, right? Share information, 
even with other coaches about whether people in the club space are being honest about the athletes that are moving up to their level. But I think this is a really, really underrated uh, tactic. And um, when you talk to uh, people in the club space, they will constantly express frustration that, you know, they've got kids on their team that are being recruited and they just, they've never spoken. They've never, they've never even had the opportunity to talk to the person who's planning on coaching that person for the next four years. I think on the other, I, I've always found the opposite. I always found club coaches to be really forthcoming about things. Uh, it was, right. N- not that like, like if I was going to take the word for it, I would always take the club coach more than even a high school coach. A high school's coach, you see him for, you know, three months, hour and a half. Right. You know, again, like I said, you don't see it in the, you know, the morning practices, 5 a.m. usually after about, you know, a few months of training. And, um, again, the, the thing is that everyone kind of uses their own coded language, you know, and, and yeah. that's why I think the first, first layer of, 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 when you're looking at potential is, is again, having that dialogue with, with the, the individual and dialogue with the, the, the club coach, you know, kind of like, what are the things that we need to work together with? Because it's, again, it's not just about one, one side or the other. It's about making sure the dynamic works for both because it's unfair to the coach. It's unfair to the student. If, you know, if, if they're going in expecting one thing and all of a sudden a switch, you know, especially like, you know, you look at incoming freshmen, they got so many things on their plate to begin with, with new everything, you know, first time away from home, probably, uh, you know, first time in the dorms, first time with a new roommate. And it's just, they've got a lot. And then all of a sudden the coaches or the, the training isn't what they anticipated. And I think that's when you sometimes see, uh, you know, the, the worst side. And, and that's just immaturity on, on the athlete's part is like not knowing how to uh, talk about the things that are really, truly frustrating. You know, it, you just see it manifest itself in, in things like, you know, everything from like, you know, uh, like partying or not going to class or sleeping a lot, you know, de- you know, signs of depression, things like that, where, where it'll, it'll come through because they don't really know how to go. Listen, this isn't what I anticipated. I, I, we need to, we need to have a sit down and talk. You know, they, they usually don't do that until it's a little bit too late. Right. And even as an addendum to that, I mean, I've always told people, um, this is a very dramatic retelling of something that nevertheless, I, I, I did do when I was in charge of recruiting at Georgia tech. If I was, uh, recruiting a swimmer and I found, that the parents were more involved in the recruiting process sure. than the kid I was actually trying to do, I would, I would, I would just cross them out. That that's like game over on them. Right. And I just, I, I add that as an addendum to the uh, coach part of this, because if you speak to somebody's club swimming coach, I guarantee you that person has had a lot of interactions with the family and they know whether you're going to be getting into a situation where just the sort of the family is, is equipped to support somebody um, coming up to that level of swimming. Uh, I say that in the most political way possible, right? Sure. That, that you have somebody that's ready to support people through that transition. And um, they are the best resource for that information. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. De- yeah. Definitely. Uh, I mean, again, they, they have to take care of themselves. They have to get themselves to class, and now you already have a red flag going there. So, I mean, yeah. So, I think personality, and again, you're never going to know, um, you know, 100. percent And that, that's why recruiting in general is, is such kind of a, a crapshoot, a little bit, you know, unless you really get to know the person. That's why you try to make those calls and emails and and do that little background of, uh, with with the club coaches, high school coaches, things like that. I think also, you know, next thing is looking at the physiological aspects of it. Obviously, like, you know, they always end the recruiting sheets ask for like shoe size, which is just the classic, like, you know, are they going to grow bigger kind of a thing? Are they going to keep on moving? You know, like how much weights have they done? Because that's the thing is you're looking for whatever that untapped area is that, that maybe you can go into it. Or you look at, um, again, their event list, you know, for me. Well, it was, but what, what do you, yeah, tell me how you look at those things, though. I mean, like, you know. Those those characteristics that are sort of being sold to you. Well, it's it, obviously with with the uh, it's like in the NFL, like when you have the forty yard dash and like you know how many times you can bench press. Like, does that really show you can play football? No, but it, it's obviously if they can bench press, you know, two twenty five forty times, it means they've been in the weight room a lot. It means they've probably got a pretty strong work ethic. So you have to kind of like get secondary things off of it rather than just is this what it is? Right. And so again, like a size thirteen shoe, you're like. Well, you know, the parents are six, five, you know, right now he's not quite five, you know, five, eight, you know, there's probably a growth spurt coming. And so with that, you know, the coordination could be off, uh, the, their strokes might be changing. So sometimes you'll see like a slump in a sense in their, especially short axis strokes like butterfly and breaststroke because their balance is off. They're kind yeah. of re- relearning where that, where they're at in space. And so, you know, not looking at that as a red flag, like, oh, they they've peaked out, but kind of looking at that as like, you know, maybe they're going through a growth spurt right now. So kind of ask them about that. Everything's shifting and just just their balance and awareness in the water is shifting. Uh, so, so those are the, the, those markers that the gentleman kind of grab onto. Um, you know, if obviously, you know, they're already at their peak height and, you know, the full mustache coming in, you know, pretty, pretty muscular. You're like, okay, well, obviously the waiting for the growth spurt's not going to happen. You know, so, yeah, so obviously there's other right. avenues you go down, like how is their technique? Is it something you work with? How are their walls and things? And so, you know, looking at, their times also is another way to go off of that as far as like the difference between short course yards and, and long course meters. So if you do the conversion from long course meters to short course yards, you're looking to see, you know, is, is it match or is it a couple seconds off per hundred? Meaning like, you know, are, are they exceptional underwater? So they're going to be really good in yards, which is great for me as college. You know, that's great. I, I'm not, you know, looking to put kids into long course meter meets in the summer, really. They aren't, that's you know, more of, you know, the, the high tier division one guys, but, um, Looking also if, if they're really solid on the long course meters and not so good in short course yards, and you're like, you know, maybe there's some development areas we can hit with turns, you know, and working a little bit of underwaters, you know, things that are relatively easy to kind of catch them up on. Yeah, you're you're hitting on one of the things that I think is really underrated in terms of evaluating potential, particularly at the college level. You say, you know, college, we're we're competing entirely in short course yards. And I think by nature, that leads most people to recruit based off of short course yards times. But what we're really talking about here in terms of potential is what are the secondary things that you can look for to augment your understanding of what of the basic information? And I think long course swimming is so underrated in that respect, right? right? right. If, if, if I know that somebody is quite good long course, I have way more confidence in my ability to coach somebody who's already fast flag to flag 
to be yeah. good in be- in between, you know, like in between the flag and the wall. Right. In long you know, course, I, they, they have to know how to swim. In, in short right. course. They know they, how to they, swim. <laughs> yeah. Short course, they know how to jump. <laughs> they can jump yeah. off a wall pretty well. Yeah, no, exactly. That's that's the thing is, is what kind of like looking at what your strengths are of the program and, and what you can what you can do to maximize those things. Um, also looking at like the difference between times from like 50 to 100 to 200, 200 to 500, kinds of things like that. Does it look like where these people are just getting better and better as, as the distance goes up or kind of the NFL thing where like if you're fast – that's what we need, you know, and we'll bulk you up later. The, if you're fast in a 50 and they're not really great in the 100 to 200, then you're like, you know, maybe, maybe this person just hasn't really been training that much. Maybe all of a sudden yeah. they're, they're going into a, a college format season where you got, you know, 19 weeks plus of work and maybe also in those, those, uh, the endurance is going to just develop out of that. You know, you don't have to try to change everybody, but again, you might be able to extend it out looking for the, that third event. Um, and just kind of talking to them as far as what their background in training is like. One of the things I see sometimes is kind of funny is, you know, again, the, the, the areas I recruit are going to be different than, than a bigger school, but sometimes you get a kid out of a small town and they're 50, 100 freestylers. Like, well, it's because you're the fastest kid in your town. They just assumed you're a sprinter. Right. You're actually, you probably should be a 500 freestyler. Or, right. or, you know, or, or someone that's, you know, not very fast, like just cause you're slow, doesn't mean you're a distance from her either, you know? And so we yeah. gotta, gotta figure that out. And so sometimes it's, it's the, uh, the prejudices of the club coach or the prejudices of the high school coach that kind of put them in that thing. Like you get a lot of times in, in the areas I recruit that if a kid does a hundred fly, they're probably the, one of the only people on their team that know how to do hundred fly. And so they're doing it every single meet, you know? And, and so you're looking at it like, again, maybe fly is a nice event for them, but it's not their best event down the road. Yeah. Yeah. You talk about club coaches being honest. I had, um, I had a podcast, uh, with my old high school swimming coach and I told the Chuck bachelor story, uh, not a very favorable Chuck bachelor story, Chuck, the, uh, head coach of Swim Mac, which, by the way, just was number one in club excellence yeah, in the no, United States. So congratulations job, yeah. to Chuck. Um, and I, I did say in the context of that story, I admire him a lot. Uh, here's a more, I would say, a more positive story about him being really honest. I remember being at Georgia Tech and I was recruiting a uh, swimmer from his old team, uh, Bluefish. And... Um, this was a, a, uh, a female sprinter and he just said straight up to me, he said, Chris, it's not, it's not fun to be a female sprinter in my program. Like she's, <laughs> she's going to get a lot better. <laughs> yeah, you're going to yeah. let her, you know, you're going to let her do some fifties and 25s and not, you know, uh, 4,000 IMs. Like she's going to have a lot more fun. So like, you know, whoever gets her in college, I think she's going to swim a lot faster. And, um, you know, that's a conversation that 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 stuck with me um, because I think you're absolutely right. Again, if you, you get some information about what the situation is on the ground and you feel like, OK, well, that's pretty easy correction I can make in my environment to give that kid an opportunity to be a lot better. Then um, I think that's that's uh, that's an advantage for you in terms of uh, gauging potential. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I think, I guess kind of summarizing where we're at so far, you've got like the psychological end It just, just are your personalities going to mesh? Are they someone psychologically where they're mature enough to do things on their own? Cause you said the indicator of that is, is like parents getting involved a lot. Uh, the physiological side looking again, like 
uh, especially in the guys' end, are they still hitting growth spurts? Are they still coming along? Are there still areas that haven't been, like, have been doing weights much on their program and maybe more weights? On the women's side on their end, obviously physiologically, usually they're, they're at their you know, biological peak around 18 as far as like height and things like that. Right, so, right. they're, so they're not, done growing, yeah. Right, and so, um, so with the women's side, it was always a little more, it's, it's interesting now with, with how far recruiting is pushed back you know, to mm. junior years and basically sophomore years. And so a lot of times, um, you know, for smaller teams in like the, you know, high end division three teams and lower end division one, you're going to get people that fall through the cracks, I think a lot more easily now than ever before, uh, because you have to be on top of that. I think what I've seen is the high end division one team. They're like, what is the time that we need? Let's go to get that right now. Uh, because it's like, again, it's, it's a gamble. At least we have this time, you know? So you're looking at like, so that you're assuming that that's the floor and that maybe yeah. the ceiling's a lot higher versus, you know, my end where I'm like, I'm just looking all the time. Like, you know, there's gotta be more ceiling here. What, 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 what can we do on the, on this end? And so, um, I think what it looks like is, is on the division one side, again, the higher end, they're digging, they're going for whatever that time is right now. And then I think they have to be aware of like how that person is getting that time. Again, is it just underwaters? Uh, is it, you know, they're really technically sound and clean. And there's not a lot that can be done there. You know, again, are, are they kind of at their peak? And so you look at with that kind of that time progression and you can see that on like swim cloud a lot of times, like what were they at, you know, two years ago? And again, when you're talking about where they're recruiting now, that's when they're 13, 14, then 15 and then 16 right. and making sure that uh, that trajectory is, you know, still moving up you know, like a 45 degree angle, kind of a, kind of a slope versus kind of flatlining or, or, or starting to drop down. And if they are starting to drop down, kind of going, Hey, you know, trying to figure out a way, a non-confrontational way of asking what's going on. Why is, you know, what, what's off here? You know, maybe they're sick going into that meet. And again, that's, that's the, the worst part about swimming is again, we're looking at plot points of basically one meet, you know, how, how, what they swim like in February. And, and we always look at, you know, those kind of taper meets as the, as the plot point to dictate where they're going to go. And that easily could have been, well, that was the one time they were sick or something happened in the middle there. And so having to find out or trying to figure out what, what happened on that day, is it going to be an indicator of more to come or is it just a one-time aberration? Yeah. I mean, I, I think you point to something really important there. Uh, I was um, trying to Google in the background because I'm not, I'm a history major, not a math major. You're talking about, the graphs and the angles. Um, I always forget which one of these is which, but you know, uh, you either want concave or convex and, and whichever one is the opposite, you don't want that one. And what, what I mean by that is if you're looking at that improvement curve, you know, is it kind of going exponentially up or is it an improvement curve that's leveling off? right? Right. That, that, um, you can actually see they're sort of losing steam in terms of, improvement or is it headed up now there can be instances i don't want anybody to listen to this i know we have parents um that are listening to this and i know like kids can put so much pressure on themselves when they feel like they're sitting still even for three to six months in terms of uh time improvement but i think um you know certainly looking at that. And one of the, one of the reasons, um, one of the advice piece of advice I give people in recruiting is if you think you're not quite fast enough to get recruited at a place, still go ahead and contact them because if you're going to get to that level, you want to show them the progression. Like literally you want to be like, Hey, this person contacted me. 
they were a 4,600 freestyler and now they went 44.9 in their meet. Like that, that, like that makes it real in the mind of the coach that, wow, there's a rapidly improving person versus just waiting to contact them to be like, Hey, by the way, I'm 44.9. Are you interested in recruiting me? Right. Then you sort of start existing at that moment. So to show them that yeah. piece of it, um, I think you can make uh, some of that curve like a little bit more real in the mind of a coach. But now I'm diverting from from uh, advice to to coaches for advice to um, people on 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 potential. But I, I so so I think we'll, we'll stick we'll stick to the coaching part, um, and and yeah. we will eventually figure out what which one is concave and which one is convex. If you're if you're smart at math. Write me at uh, swimbriefpodcast at gmail.com and teach me that because I, I really want to figure it out. Yeah, I think, you know, especially looking um, just from what I've seen in the past, especially like uh, women swimmers, when we were recruiting that much younger now, you're kind of looking at like that 12 and under kind of break point. You know, that, that's kind of that, that level where also they're making that jump into senior swimming and looking yeah. at like, okay, when they're 12, they were like, you know, top three in the state everywhere or, you know, top three nationally. And then all of a sudden 14, now all of a sudden they're 50th. That, that, that's when you're like, okay, maybe this person just hit their growth spurt really, really early and, and now it's peaked out. And that's, that's the unfortunate thing when you're dealing with as many numbers as you do when you recruit. I mean, you know, you're recruiting hundreds of kids every day. I mean, it's just, just how it is. Uh, and so you're just kind of looking for basically reasons not to go somewhere like, okay, fine. This is, Let's just get this out, this out, this out, this out, and focus on the ones that we see as as having the the rising potential. And so, kind of looking in a sense where where their peers are going, because all the time I've, I remember um, years and years ago when I was coaching at, at a Division three school, this one guy, his sister was like, you know, she was fourteen years old and going one double O yards, hundred backstroke. I was like, boy, this that'd be great. She'd really help out her relay in a couple of years. You know, tell your sister. Keep in mind, I was like, she's going D one, dude. Like, what are you talking about? It's like, it's like, he's like, because in that state at that time, again, this was like early 2000s, double O was a solid time. It was a very good, sure. good backstroke time. And you're like, but then you look at what, again, when you pull up the, the websites, like there's a whole bubble of kids going 58s and there's a bunch right. behind that going 56s. They're coming up. You know, she's kind of like the last of that first bubble of people going from 103 to double O. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, she's so fast. She's double O. She's 14. She's going to project out to be like, again, you're like, it's, it's, it doesn't always work like that. Again, what's, what's the bubble coming behind it? And we see that so much in breaststroke. Cause I remember, you know, 2003, there was a, a woman in the state that was like 106 in the breaststroke. I'm like, man, I'll drive to go see that 106, 100 yard breaststroke. That's insane. And then right. like the next year, like, eight kids are going 103s, you know? And then the next year, it's like one of those things where, again, like there's there's usually the bubble and there's a lot of kids behind that bubble. And just because you're on the top of that bubble for that moment, it, you know, you're thinking, okay, well, I'm going to go off to, you know, Florida or Georgia or whatever. It's like, well, you know, again, they're looking long-term as well. What's, what's behind you, what they have on their team and kind of what are they projecting out? And so that's kind of the thing is if you look at time standards and, and the way those time standards change, that's also kind of an indicator of where that where that event's going because it's usually just going to be based on how many they can fill out in heats for nationals. Well, so you, you made a point in there that I want to follow up on because I'm realizing, you know, been listing off all this stuff, okay? If I'm a college coach listening to this, I go like, oh, great, you know, Chris and Joel – 
you just gave me like eight more things to think about. I have 400 kids in my recruiting database, like, and now I have, you know, twice as many criteria as I had before to evaluate them on. So I'll do twice as much work. Um, what is some other stuff you think you might use to filter actually, right? To, to, to take that giant list and go, here's some things where I go, I, I, I don't think that this person has the potential to be good at my program. Right. So I, I, I use the one of like, Hey, here's, um, here's parents that are dominating the recruiting process. That was a, that was a cross off for me, right? That was an easy yeah, way sure, sure. to yeah, filter yeah. through the filter through the process. And I think a lot of people actually uh, in, in college swimming use that they may not be definitely. stating it openly, um, but there's definitely a lot of college coaches. What are, what are some stuff you would use to filter that list down in terms of potential? You know, is it, I wish mine were more scientific, you know, but it's just kind no, of but like, let's, let's get them, let's get all the subjective ones out of Joel. Come on. It's well, it's, it's just because again, usually like where I've been, it's kind of the one man show kind of thing. If I have, if sure. I have an assistant, great, you know, it's, whatever they right. want to do, go do it. Cause I usually don't, you know, it's like, I'll take whatever help I can get. And so with recruiting, usually they're not doing this. So I'm like, I'm just trying to think of like, basically the, the pillars that you're, you're building your team on, you want good students, you know, people that are, that are solid students. If a kid is barely able to get into school, you know, you can help them out getting to school. But now it's like, now part of my day is always going to be like following up, making sure that they're getting to class. Okay. How are the studies going? You're not getting too far behind. You need extra help here. And again, so like, again, it's, it's part of the job, but when, if you bring in a lot of these people, again, they're already struggling academically to get there. You know, is it fair to them? Is it fair to yourself too? Cause like, well, not fair to yourself, but fair to the other people on your team. Because now a big chunk of your day is just doing the basic stuff of, can you get to class or not? You know, so you want to make sure that academically they're good. You know, how are they as far as being a teammate? And I like to go to like dual meets more than championship meets because, it, you know, you're tapered out, you're wearing your suit, you know, and, and you swim the best time. It's really easy to have a good sportsmanship and be a good teammate when you're happy because you're swimming well. It's another thing, again, when it's like, you know, middle of winter, it's just crappy out and you're in the middle of your training and you, you swim, you know, whatever your race and you're three seconds off your best time or four seconds off your best time. How do they react? Are they slamming their goggles? You know, are they, are they still behind their teammates? What are they doing? You right. know, because again, that's, that's an indicator of like, are, are they going to be willing to put other people ahead of themselves a little bit? And, and I think when they start to do that, they start to swim really well themselves. When they're not so concerned about themselves and they're starting to think about how their team's doing, then, then that's enough to kind of lift them up and, and you know that they're going to be good on whatever team they're with. And then obviously, you know, the, the times that you're looking for because, you know, again, you want it to be fair to them. If, if you're like, ah, oh, well, this guy's a, you know, it's a quote-unquote project kind of a kid and you're bringing him in, if they're not expecting, you know, to be all of a sudden in the, in the side lane, is that fair to them? You know, all of a sudden, like you're over in lane one and again, you're a one man show. It's like, you're going to get, you know, one and a half minutes of, you know, I always kind of joke, you have, you know, 60 kids on your team. That means about two minutes of interaction and two hour practice tops. And so yeah. is, is that kid going to be okay getting 22 seconds of interaction? You know, not right. sit there with a stopwatch, but, but you're, you're, he's not going to get as much interaction as he used to get. Or sometimes you get these, Swimmers, again, they're, they're the, the best swimmer on their team in their club or their high school, and they get an inordinate amount of correction and help. And it's great that they can do that, but all of a sudden you get to a, a place where all of a sudden you can't help them that much. You know, are they feeling cheated? Are they feeling like, you know, this isn't, I'm not getting what I need? Again, I, it, I used to call it the bear trap. You know, some kids are like, you make a correction, it's like getting stuck in a bear trap because they're not going to let go. Like, well, what about this? Can I change the pitch of my hand yeah. like two more degrees? Like, 
just just try it. I got you yeah, know, lots I of paper. Move on. Yeah, there's lots of plates <laughs> here. Basically, you know, can they handle information and, and be self-guided to use that information? And so those are the three things I really look for more than anything. You know, obviously the time is, is going to be a part of it. But again, if you have those other qualities, then, then the time usually takes care of itself. It, it seems like in the sport, you know, we always look at time as the end-all be-all. Like this decides if you had a good season or not. But in the end, the time is like, it's really fairly arbitrary, you know, because yeah. – it's based on how they felt that particular day. How'd their warm-up go? How was the car ride over? Was their hip flexor a little bit tighter because the car ride was longer? Is it, you know, maybe they had a fight with mom or dad? Or There's all these things that go into a swim beyond just the training that went into it. And, and so I think over time, though, if they have those characteristics of, you know, they're a good student, they can take care of themselves, they're organized in that regard, they're going to be organized in other areas of life. Are they good teammates? It's good sports. Things like that where, again, that enthusiasm is going to help carry them through their own dark times too and help others. And then last of all, obviously, you know, do they, do they take coaching well? Yeah. A heuristic um, that I use, and I, I, you know, like just a way of making decisions quicker um, that I was thinking of as you were talking uh, with regards to international recruiting. Now, there's going to be a lot of college coaches, you know, if you're listening to this, um, we're going to be very jealous of this aspect, but, but when I was recruiting at Georgia tech, we did not make international kids take what was called the TOEFL, or I guess it's still called the TOEFL, yeah. which was a, a, a test to basically to assess, um, people's, uh, English capability, uh, as a second language, right? We just had SAT scores, um, were used as a proxy, for that, or, you know, I, I don't think I ever had an international kid take the ACT. I, I guess that's theoretically possible, but, um, and I can tell you that, uh, kids from kids from, and I was recruiting mainly out of Europe, kids from like public school systems in Europe with, um, quote unquote, terrible SAT scores like SAT scores where we had to go to actually appeal to our admissions department to say, can we have a, please have an exception to the floor for SAT scores, which at that time was 1080 um, out of mm -hmm. 1600 at Georgia tech. So we'd have maybe have somebody who would have like an 850, but they would be, they have the equivalent of whatever in their country was like straight A's. Mm -hmm. That person would come to Georgia tech and absolutely kill it academically. We never had to worry about them. There was no like, you know, like, oh, you got to make sure you go all your study halls. Those kids would come to Georgia Tech and it'd be like 3.9 out of four, you know, taking um, mechanical engineering or biomedical engineering for four years. It was um, so so just sort of like almost becoming a bit of a mini admissions officer where you go, you try to predict like what, right. what data is relevant to whether a kid academically is actually successful here right? versus um, what data just doesn't seem to matter. And in that that's just an example of a situation where like whatever it was, you know, it, it was, maybe it was a school where they didn't have to take an English class, right? They had to learn technical terms in English or mathematical terms in English and their English skills would go up exponentially within two weeks of setting foot on campus and speaking English to their teammates all day. Actually, I have one more thing um, that I want to add to that, which was, um, you know, I think sometimes schools get into a habit where they recruit from one country, like they get a reputation 
good reputation sure. in the country where, where um, English is not the, the first language. And then they end up getting um, a bunch of kids in Georgia Tech. We had a lot of Israeli kids um, when I got there. The disadvantage to that is when you have people with um, English as a second language, but they have a common language, right? They're more likely to almost form like a little clique within yeah, your team yeah. Yeah. versus if you just have like 12 people from all around the world, right? They're all not from the U.S., but they don't have a, they don't have a common language. They all have to come and um, interact uh, and their, link, their, their English skills just progress exponentially um, in an academic environment. And I, I always think that that is something um, that you can, uh, take, take, take big advantage of, um, in the recruiting process. Uh, and, and I, and I do think that there's, there's a, there's a, there's a filter there and an, an opportunity, uh, for somebody, I think even their academic potential, I guess, is what I'm talking about. Yeah. I, th- I think, um, you know, when we're looking at kind of the recruiting thing, you know, obviously if it's parents on the other end too, I think, you know, we're always looking, oh, we just need more challenges. You keep on challenging, you know, or you get the kid, I don't want to be the best one in the pool. It's like, well, you definitely don't want to be the worst one in the pool either. <laughs> you know, you want, right. to be, you want to be somewhere in there again where, where, you, where you fit in. And I think we talked a while about the, about the idea of perception and things like that, especially with the student. If they're, if they're coming in and their, their initial perception of themselves are that, you know, they're not good enough swimmer or they're not a good enough student to be there or they're just marginal at best. You know, we always hold up the the Iron Man of the the one person that like overcame all those obstacles. Like, there's a lot of people again they they get overwhelmed early on by that. And and I think, especially right now, we see so many students coming out of COVID that they're like, I don't know if it's just the diagnosis or what, but much higher levels of anxiety. And so if all of a sudden they're coming in with one more layer of like not feeling like they're going to fit in, whether it's like again culturally, uh, you know, language barrier things like that, you're like. Um, you know, what are we going to do to help that student get through? Because I always looked at the recruiting process as you're kind of promising that student or you're promising those parents that you're going to look out for them, that you're going to make sure that they, they have a good experience and they're going to finish up at, at your university. And so when you're doing that, you know, I, I looked at it as a lot of stress too, where like if you're bringing in someone that's kind of marginal, you're like, oh, you know, am, am I really helping this person out or not? And so right. it's awesome to see when they do take those things. And again, if they have the skills in place, to like I said, if they're a good student, they've, they've they're usually going to be a pretty good swimmer. You know, if they're organized in one area of their life, it's really hard to be completely a train wreck in another party. You know, maybe you're not quite yeah. as organized, but you're, you're going to have things together. You're going to know how to get places on time, and it's unbelievable how much of everything in this world is just like if you could do that, man, yeah. you're, you're going to be golden. Just show up on time. Yeah. And show up. That's it. Showing, showing up and showing up on time. All right. I think that's a good place to stop, Joel. Right. Um, thank everybody for listening. Christy underscore coach on Instagram. CD swim coach on Facebook. Send all your prospects to Milwaukee School of Engineering. That's where Joel Coach is. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and um, we'll be back to talk to you more next week. All right. Thank you.